Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. It says, clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry. This is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. He says, our ministry among you. This letter is written not with the pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Paul in this chapter is talking about the new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus that has been written not on tablets of stone like the old covenant, which was written by Moses. Remember, God gave him the Ten Commandments, and where did he write them on? He wrote them on stones. He wrote them on tablets. He's saying that we've been given a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises. Amen? And it's been not written on stone, but it's been written in your heart by the Spirit of God. But the Bible says it this way, the spirit of the living God. And it says we are, in verse 4, we are confident of all this because of our great trust in and through Jesus Christ. See, today, it's going to take faith to recognize what's inside of you. Come on, if you're a born-again believer today, life doesn't stop at just salvation. You could experience heaven on earth right now, today. Even when you are going through hell or when you are going through challenges, even when hardships and the enemy is opposing you, you can rise up in faith looking to Jesus, knowing that you have been written by the Spirit of God upon your heart with this new covenant. What is that new covenant? Well, if you go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this new covenant is through Christ Jesus, and it's where the dead things have passed away. And you have become new in Christ Jesus. Come on, you're a new creature today, amen? Amen. Let's continue to read for one moment. It says, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. I mean, that's good news for you and me today. Our qualification, the things of God's will and purpose in our life, doesn't come from how good you are and how great you are. You can do things and how qualified and expertise that you have. No, it comes through the spirit of the living God that is living inside of you, but it's going to take faith and trust and reliance upon the spirit that's in you. And as you rely on him and have faith in him, that inward work will begin to make its way outwardly within your life. You'll become transformed. You'll begin to think like him. You'll begin to live like him. you begin to speak like him. Come on, some of you need to change the way you speak about your life right now. I feel it in my heart. You've been speaking negative. You've been speaking death over it. And that's why you're experiencing the very thing you're speaking. Come on, the Bible even says in Proverbs that there's power of death or life within the tongue and how you speak. You speak a lot of words throughout the day. How are you speaking today? See, we don't speak from a place of emotion. We don't speak from a place of what's going on in our life. No, we speak from a place of faith based on his word. And it says he has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant, this covenant not written of laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. Come on, say death. See, the old covenant was a foreshadow of what was to come. The old covenant, the law was to tell you how bad of a person you are and you can't live up to who Christ is. You can't live up to who God is. But it's through Jesus' blood that now you can live up to who God is. Because God doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the blood. Come on. This is just basic Christianity. This is what it means to be born again. If we would just get a revelation of this, I mean, how would our life completely change and transform? 
It says the old written covenant gives in death, but the under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Do you have life today? Now, inherently, through the spirit of God, you do. But we know that within our mind, our soulish realm, sometimes it doesn't want to have life, or it doesn't experience life, or it doesn't act like it's having life. Can I get an amen? It acts a lot differently. And this is why we must do what Romans 12 says, to renew that mind. You'll even see it within 2 Corinthians where it says to renew your spirit. Amen? Now look at this. Go to verse 8. I could read all this, but I'm not going to. Verse 8 says, shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Now the old covenant, it had glory in it. Remember, when God even gave Moses the law, gave him the Ten Commandments, there was glory upon him. He had to cover his face with a veil because the people couldn't see him. If they were to see his face, they would die because of the glory of him being up there with God. And this saying right here that we should expect a far greater glory under this new and living way that the Holy Spirit is giving life. It says that the old way which brings condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? What makes you right with God? This new covenant. Not your good works. Not what you do and how you live. No, it's through Christ Jesus where you have been made righteous in him. You have been made in right standing with him. And because of that, I will now produce good works. Amen? Amen. Come on. And it says, in fact, this glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of this new way. Come on, this is a new and living way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains how long? Oh, it's not up there. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians, I thought you were following along with me. Second Corinthians 3, verse 12, or verse 11. Sorry about that, Bailey. He'll get it up there for you guys. For it, go to uh, NLT. If it's up there, if it's not, just go to ESV. I'm reading out of the NLT. I usually don't read out of the NLT. So for the past three weeks, I've been reading a different translation, and it's, it's been fun. There it is. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains how long? Forever. Forever. We must understand that we, in Christ Jesus, are eternal. Say, I'm an eternal being. Man, if you would just get this revelation of being an eternal being in Christ Jesus, meaning that this life that you have right now is temporal. It's temporary. See, we live like natural beings as Christians. In all reality, you're no longer just a natural person. You're dead to the things of the world. You're alive in Christ. Come on, by grace through faith, have you been saved? The Bible says in that same chapter, the first verse, that he has quickened those things that were dead. He's made you alive together with Christ Jesus. How is he doing this? How has he done this? Through the spirit of God in you. And it is an eternal work, meaning that you now are an eternal being. So when I look at problems in life, when I look at my marriage and the shambles that it's in, when I look at the problems in finances, when I look at the problems within my children, when I look at the problems of this world, I can have hope because of who I am in the spirit of God. Through his blood, I'm not made for today. 
I'm an eternal being. This is the hope that you have. Now look, it says this. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be what? Very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. How many know that there's been a veil on people? Now he's speaking about the Jews. He's speaking about those that have not yet converted or given their life to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. But we can also see it apply to people today that are of the world. There is a veil upon their eyes. And they have not yet seen truth. And it says this veil, though, can be removed by only believing in Christ. So guess what? There's hope today for those loved ones, for those people that you care about. That veil can be removed today by believing. This is why we must preach the gospel. This is why we must be a voice and a proponent for the good news in every realm of our life, in every sphere that we're in, in the job, in our family, at the shops, in our church, in this region. Because there's still hope for those people today. Don't lose hope for those people. Don't give up and say, no, I know how they think. Oh, man, they would never come to church. They would never believe in God. They're atheists. They're agnostic. Let me help you today. You got a voice? Yes? Come on, do you have a voice today? Yes. Yeah, you do. Yes. Continue to preach. Continue to sow. Yes. And believe as you sow the seed of the good news that it will reap a harvest. Yes. Come on, this is harvest season for us. This is the word that God's given us. It's the year of the harvest. And it says that he is the Lord of the harvest and he... As we will pray to him, he will send out laborers to work the fields. Come on. And it says that the harvest is ripe. It's ready. Meaning, those people around you, their heart's ready. A lot of people can say a lot of things, but the reason why they say a lot of things is really because the intention of their heart and where they are. Come on, you've done it before. Where you said things, really, that's not where your heart was. You put on a mask and you just lied through your teeth. But in the reality, deep within inside of you, you were hurting. See, there's a void in every person's life that doesn't have Christ Jesus in them. And so that gives us hope that we can still preach the gospel to them. In love and in hope and in boldness, knowing that if they will hear, it will produce life and peace in their life. It says this, skip down a little bit, <clears throat> verse 16, but... Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So now their eyes, they can see. They can hear. They know them. Come on, how many know that the veil has been taken away from you today? Come on, how many call yourself a born-again believing Christian today? Well, guess what? The veil has been taken away. That's why you know when you read the word and when you're praying. Have you ever noticed that now you've been serving God for a while, that God is more real to you than it was at the beginning? He's more real to you. You understand him more. You have more knowledge of him. You have more revelation. You have more of a knowing of him. It's because the veil has been removed. But it was faith or believing that caused the veil to be removed. And it says this, so for where the Lord is, or for the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, I know we use this scripture a lot of times when we kind of tie it to shouting, jumping, screaming, and all that. 
it's not really as much as a charismatic experience, but understanding that with in the, our life where the Spirit of God is, we are free from the things of the world. We are free from the lies of the enemy. We are free through Christ Jesus. Now, because of that, we praise. Because of that, we shout. Because of that, we dance. We give glory to God. We live our lives holy and righteous before him. Amen? Amen. It's because of this freedom that we have through the Spirit of God. Come on. And it says, so all of us, say me, who have had the veil removed can see. Now, look what happens. When the veil is removed, you see, but something else happens. So your perception changes. But now you begin to reflect something. How many know that every single person in the world, based off their perception, is reflecting something? How they see their life? How you see your life right now is how you are reflecting everything. Your body language, your words, your actions, your thoughts. It's a reflection of your perception. See, how do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that you're living out God's promises? You're reflecting it within your life. You're reflecting it. You're reflecting it. He says, we reflect the glory of the Lord. That word glory means doxa. And it literally means, if you look at the, because there's many different meanings, but in this context, it's talking about the splendor, his majesty. Come on. The splendor of God, the king of majesty within your life. You're reflecting the glory of God. Now, I'm going to move forward. And it says, it reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is a spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Or we go from glory to glory. Now, look. The Lord who is a spirit makes us. How does he make you do anything? He can't force himself upon you. Did he make you become born again? No. You chose him. So just like you chose him for salvation, guess what? You'll have to choose him in order to grow and develop in him. You'll have to yield to him. You'll have to walk in him. You'll have to have daily intimacy with the Father. And as you do so, you become more and more like him, and you will begin to be changed into this glorious image. See, I think sometimes we look, and we think that the image is supposed to be changed like that. We're supposed to go from sinner to saint just like that. And on the all the reality, through the blood of Jesus, you have, but let me help you, your body and your soul, your flesh, your mind, is going to go through a process of change. So don't be discouraged if you're not seeing growth. Be encouraged knowing that it's the habits of your discipline. It's the habits of your diligence to God. If you are not developing and growing, if you're not changing into that image of God, then I would ask, how do you live daily? What do you do right now in Christ? Or do you do anything in Christ? Or is it all for self? Is it all based on career? Is it all based on family? Is it all based on the things that really have no competition with our God? When I got married, and we did this thing with sand. 
I had my own stand that represented my family. Lainey, who's my wife, who will be here in two days, hallelujah. If you don't know, my wife has been gone for almost five and a half weeks. She's been, and so is my son. I miss my son too. <laughs> but I had to say his name. Uh, but I miss both of them. But when we got married, she had a sand that represented her family. And the person that uh, married us, actually, it was my father. He had a vase of, or a vial of sand. And we had one sitting in the middle of a table. And in this one that we were about to all three pour, Laney's was her family, mine was my family, and then the one that my father had represented God. And then there was sand at the very bottom that we were going to pour in, and that represented God. Jesus was the foundation of our marriage. And then we all began to pour at once within the sand. And Jesus was the center. He is the center of our marriage. And then my dad had a little bit left, and he topped it off. And Jesus is the head of our marriage. Now, I'm not necessarily just talking about marriage. This also is a symbol of our own personal life. Jesus is the foundation of his church. Jesus is the foundation of your life. Come on, he's the firm foundation. He's the son of God. Jesus is the center of our life. Come on, he's the center of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Seek first. He has preeminence. And then we know that Jesus is the head of his church. He is the head of the body. He is the head of your life. See, what happens when we acknowledge him as a foundation, as a center, and as the head? Life and peace. Order. Love. Unity. Honor. Integrity. All these characteristic traits that we see that come through living in the spirit. So if you want to see your marriage healed, put them at the foundation, put them in the center, put them at the head. If you want to see your own personal life advance and grow and understand God's will and purpose and begin to live them out, because it's one thing understanding them, but it's another living them out. Put them at the foundation, the center, and the head. What would happen when a church, I'm talking about a body, Look, because a church isn't one person. A church is a multitude of people. What would happen if we put him at the foundation of us, we put him in the center of everything that we do, and we put him at the head where he is rightly supposed to be? Think about what a church would do in a region. Oh, if you could just see what I see. I could see a church that's married, come on, to the bride. Well, we are the bride of Christ, and he is the bridegroom. Today, as a church corporately, we see him as the bridegroom. Today, individually, he is the bridegroom of your life. Come on, you're the bride of Christ, and it is a covenant. We're talking about a covenant. Now, go to the next chapter. I just have an unction to keep on going, so I'm just going to keep on going. Verse 1, therefore, since God in his mercy had given us this new way, we never give up. Come on, we never give up. Why? Because we've been given this new covenant, this new way of living. 
Come on, if someone was to come to you and say, how are you doing today? And you say, man, my life's terrible. I, I can't stand it. I got this going on. I have this going on, that going on. I'm just, I'm over it. And they were to tell you, you know what? I have the answer for you. What would you do? I guarantee you every single one of you said, tell me what it is. Give me this miracle pill. Give me this thing that's going to just dramatically change my life. Right? This is what Paul is talking to them about. You've been living in a way that has caused death. But now there's this new living way. There's a new way. And because of this new way, we don't quit. We don't give up. It's not talking about necessarily your perseverance and your endurance and your tenacity to keep going, which you will need those things. No, it's more about this new thing in Christ Jesus. Since you have him, you don't want to give up. You're not going to want to give up. He's working in you. It says in verse 2, we reject all shameful deeds and unhand, underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. So basically what he is saying is we tell the truth. We preach the word of God. We're not distorting it. We're not underhanded. We're not, we're not manipulating. We're not lying to you. We're not trying to get money from you. No, we're not full, men full of greed. And I'm not trying to get you to look at my position in my ministry and just elevate me. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying we preach the unadulterated word of God. We're honest. And you know we're honest because the fruit that they bear. The fruit that they bear. How do you know the word of God has been preached in the church? Because the fruit that it bears. That bears no fruit, I would ask, is the word of God being preached there. As you abide in him, he will abide in you, and you will produce much fruit. That's what the Bible says. His word is either truth or it's a lie. Within your own life, how do you know you're producing fruit? Do you abide in him? It says this, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. How many know today? You're not perishing. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and will not perish. perish. Guess what? You're not perishing today. The veil's been removed. Satan, who is the God of this world, come on, he has authority. But how many know he has no authority and dominion over you today? Because you have authority and dominion through the name of Jesus. Come on, every name that is named must bow to that name. So in your time of need, in your time of stress, all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. That's why the people around you don't believe. Because they are influenced and yielding to the enemy's distorted views, distorted truths. This is why we live in a world today where there is so much distorted truth. But let me help you. I'm going to be really bold here. We are the church and we stand up for truth. Truth of what? His word. Not how I feel. Not because I have people that live and die, live in sin, and I really love them, and I want to talk. Or actually, I'll say it this way: not because they live in sin, and I want to be a place where I agree with them. No, you can love somebody and still disagree. Now you're living in a time where that's being distorted, and they're saying, "Well, it's not love." Yes, it is love, because what is love? Walking in the truth of His Word. 
Amen. And it says this. They are unable to see the glorious light. Now, look, remember, we talked about this glory through, the, through this new covenant. It's more glorious than the old one. They're unable to see this glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is, exact, who is in the exact likeness of God. Now, we know Jesus is God. Now, some would disagree with that, and that's all right. But even right here, he's saying Jesus is the exact likeness of God. Even Jesus said, if you heard me, you've heard the Father. Amen? Verse 5 says, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are servants for Jesus' sake. And this is awesome because this goes right into what I was going to preach. And I'm just going to add it all in real quick. I've been preaching on vision. First week I said that vision starts with pursuing God. Second week I said that vision continues with you belonging to him. Knowing that you belong in him. Knowing that you belong to his church. And then today, vision, vision, come on, say vision, is going to take godly character to fulfill what he's called you to do. And where does godly character come from? Following him. Serving him. Serving him. He says, we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are servants for Jesus' sake. When I serve Jesus, when I'm following him, you will get his heart. As you serve him, you'll get his heart. What does his heart look like? We can see it all throughout the word. His heart, who he is, let me help you, is kingdom-minded. Everywhere Jesus was going, he was preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God we know lives in us, but it also is coming to us again one day. This kingdom of God is life, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. See, as you serve him, you get his heart. And through service to God, this vision or your vision will become more like his vision. As you serve him, your desires will become his desires, meaning you will lay aside everything of your desires and say, God, what shall I do? But let me help you. Psalms 23 says that he is the good shepherd or he is the shepherd and you shall not want. So when I follow after the shepherd, even the things that I have want of, he'll take care of them. See, we're all there trying to pray for things that we want, that we need, that I desire. God, I need this. God, I want this. In all reality, follow him, serve him. He'll take care of all the wants. Priority's wrong. Because, again, how do you pursue God? Is it for self or is it for him? I come to the end of myself. I lose my soul. What does it gain a person or what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What does it gain? Nothing. See, being a servant for God will keep the vision in right priorities. Nehemiah in chapter 2. 
I love this because this whole thing I just read is tying in perfectly. Nehemiah chapter 2, they don't have to necessarily go there. I'm going to paraphrase it. We know that Nehemiah has been the story we've been using about vision. That God called him to build the, the gates around the temple. We know that it took four months of him praying and preparing. And then it took 52 days of actually doing the work. It took more time of praying and preparing than it did actually doing the work. That should preach to somebody today. It's going to take a lot more prayer to do what God's called you to do. It's going to take a lot more prayer to do what God's purpose is church to do. He's in the presence of the king. We know that he's a cupbearer. He's a person that tests the cup out, and if there's poison in it, well, he doesn't live to say anything else about it. He's dead. Not the greatest job, but he is in the presence of the king. And today is a little different. He's in the presence of the king, and the king notices through his body language that he is saddened, that he is grieved, that there is a burden within him. There's a burden within him. And so the king says, why are you sad? He says, how can I not be sad when my people, my city are burned or destroyed? I'm just paraphrasing it. And the king says, what do you want to do? He says, and this is how he replies. He's like, let me pray again. Let me go back to prayer. Notice that when God called you to do something, when he calls us to do his will, prayer is going to help you answer wisely. Prayer is going to help you answer according to who that person you're speaking to. You know, God's going to give you opportunity. Right here, Nehemiah has an opportunity. And he could have spoke something. I'm sure he already knew, but he wanted to go back and pray. He wanted to go back and make sure he was going to do the will of the Father, make sure that he wasn't just going to allow self to get in the way. And he said, you know what, let me pray again. There will be many opportunities that God gives his church, that God gives you, and you're best to go and pray and ask God how to handle those things and how to speak to those people. Because the reality is you may not know those person, those people, but God does. God does. See, we're talking about vision. Vision, the Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 2, write the vision down plainly so that people can run with it. Remember, we're running with the vision that God has given us. This vision of building his kingdom. We're building his kingdom. Come on, you're a kingdom builder today. Jesus, again, preaching the kingdom. So he goes and prays and he comes back. And he basically tells them, let me go back and build the walls. He asked him for timber. He asked him for permits. He asked him for letters to give to the other uh, leaders of the tribes. And also, he also asked for letters for, uh, from the people that would try to stop him from going into Jerusalem. Favor, just like that. The king granted everything to him. He granted it all. We're talking about a servant, a slave that's been in captivity. Don't despise today. See, Nehemiah had the father's heart. He was serving God. And because of his service unto God, because of his burden to fulfill what God's called him to do, God was faithful to his word. Look at this. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says this. 
For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, hath made the light shine in our own hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Man, there's so much in here. It says that he has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God. Come on, how many know that you can know God's glory within your life? It won't just be something that's an inward work, but it'll also be an outward work. It says we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves, speaking of the body, are like fragile clay jars. Come on. You're this earthly vessel containing this great treasure. Another translation says we are jars or we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And I posted this on social media. How many people saw that? A few of you saw that. We have this treasure that makes it clear to us that our power is not from ourselves, but it's from God. Nehemiah understood this. God anointed him. God mandated him. God gave him a vision. God ordained him to go do this work. And because of that, look, Nehemiah, who is he? He's just a person like me and you. Because of his faithfulness to God, his commitment to God, and his yielding to God, his servant, his service to God, God used him. The same king that allowed Nehemiah to go is the same king that denied Ezra and them to finish the temple. What changed? Favor was upon Nehemiah's life. See, when you're walking in the light of God's word, when you're walking after the Father, favor will be around you. And every opportunity will open up to you. Why? Because it's not to fulfill what Nehemiah wanted. No, what happened? Nehemiah got the Father's heart through prayer. When he heard about the destruction of the, the gates and of the temple, what happened? It said that he got heavily burdened so weighed down that he went to a time of prayer and fasting and seeking God and getting his heart and preparing himself for what the work was going to be, for what the work was going to be. See, this is what happens. I really believe strongly for our church right now that we are in a season, a hidden season, where God is preparing us for what is next. But we must be vigilant. We must be stewards of prayer. We have to. We have to. Now look at this. Nehemiah understood this, that it wasn't because of himself, but it was the power of God in him. Look, Nehemiah, just a man. You're just a person. You're just a human. But through the grace of God, through the power of God, you will be able to do what he's called you to do. Through God, we will be able to do what God has called us to do as a church. Amen? We got to see that. So we're not trying to do it on our own. So we know that Nehemiah, he had this godly character. Again, where does character come from? The inward work of the Spirit of God in you. In Romans chapter 5, let me read that to you just for one moment. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces 
character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It says we rejoice in our suffering. Nehemiah, he was suffering, but he began to get his focus on God. Because what happens when you rejoice in your suffering, you know that suffering is producing endurance. You're able to endure. Just like Hebrews says, you're looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. But how did all those people of faith in Hebrews 11 do what God called them to do? They looked to Jesus. They had faith in him. How did Abraham believe for almost 20 years that he was going to receive the promise of Isaac? He believed in faith. He didn't waver. He didn't look at the sign of him himself that couldn't have children. He didn't look at Sarah's womb. She was barren. No, he was fully convinced that what God promised, he was able to do it. And it says that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. See, when you endure, character is being produced within you. It's being produced, not yet. Character produces within you. Amen? So you have need of endurance today. Don't quit. Because remember, just in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, we have been given this new way by the mercy of God. We don't quit. We don't give up. I have need of endurance. You might be in a season where you've been enduring for a while. Continue to because your character is growing. Your character is developing. Now that determines though, or that is the, that determines on how you personally are living in the season of your life right now. How are you yielding to God right now? How are you walking with God? You may say, man, I'm just ready to get out of this. I understand that. But how are you living right now in the moment? Because we know that the moment that you're living in is temporal. It's going to change. Stay faithful. Stay committed. Don't compromise. Stay in prayer. Keep moving forward. Even in a season when it's hard. Come on. Don't just give up and quit just because it gets a little hard. You see it all throughout the Bible. David, Goliath, Daniel, the lion's in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. They didn't just give up and quit. No, they knew because of what they had within them that greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. But let me help you. That was a covenant that was theirs, an old covenant, but we now have a new covenant through Christ Jesus. We have a far better covenant than David, than Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. Do you know that? You have a greater covenant today. Praise God. And it says endurance produces character. And guess what? Character produces hope. It produces hope. And hope does not put you to shame. We know that before faith happens, it starts from hope. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is a substance of things hope for. Because God's love has been poured into your heart. His love is important to your heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, real quick. Back in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 4, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, is blind to the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Okay? And he says, and we ourselves are, are your servants for Jesus' sake. 
For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine. Let me keep on going. Verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts. Yep, I already read that to you. I just want to get to it. Right, here we go. Eight. We are pressed on every side. Now, this is good. Y'all probably know the scripture by heart. I'm just reading it probably a different translation than you used to. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the depth of Jesus so that, say that, so that, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. So even as you are experiencing suffering, even as you're experiencing all these things coming from all different angles, emotionally, physically, mentally, and you're suffering in the death of Jesus Christ, why? So that the life of Jesus may also be seen. So where there is Death scene, where there's death experience, guess what? Life is greater. The life that comes through his resurrection is greater. The life of the risen king today is being seen, is being heard. What does that mean? Because I see that for yourself, but I also see it in relation to people around you. As a Christian, I've had questions before asked to me, how are you able to be so happy in a time of so much turmoil? How are you able to continue to move forward when you don't have enough money to do stuff, when you're lacking? How are you able to continue to live life when physically you're hurting? Right here. I have a hope. I have a faith. Even in my suffering, the risen Savior is living within me. I've been raised with Christ. See, people around you will begin to see the light and the glory that you hold. It says, yeah, we live under constant dangers of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. He said, look, I know we've, we've gone through a lot. Paul, how many can agree? Paul went through a lot. I mean, the disciples, the, the apostles, they went through a lot. I mean, Peter hung upside down. John boiled. But he didn't die. He survived. Thrown on an island by himself in isolation. That's where God gives him revelations. Stephen, stoned to death. I mean, these people were martyred. But look at this. Verse 12. We live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. When you live for God, it will affect the people around you. I know this to be true because of my father. My, my father got born again. Everyone in my family wasn't saved. I'm talking about my uncles, my aunts, my cousins. They didn't serve God. But when my dad got born again, set free, saved, and he began to live his life for Christ, they began to see that. They used to ask him, how come you're not the same person? You don't get drunk like you used to do. You don't do the drugs you used to do. You completely changed. Why? Well, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He'll cha he's changed my life, and he'll change yours. And through the course of time, now all of them serve God. 
my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, they serve God. Think about the testimony that you live and how it will change the people around you. Now, it didn't happen overnight for some of them. Some of them took 20 years. Come on. I'm going to finish with this. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4. This is why we never give up. Through our, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Yeah, you're going through things, but guess what? It's producing for you a glory. The pain you're going through, the suffering you're going through. Now, sometimes some of that's self-inflicted. Right? Not all of it is the devil. Look, look, I come from where if, the cast, if, the, uh, if you're driving your vehicle and the tires are starting to run bare, that's the devil. No, it's just you didn't take care of your tires. Right? You know, anybody can attest what I'm saying? You know what I mean? If there was traffic in front of you, and oh, the devil's at me again. No, it's just traffic. And not everything's the devil. <laughs> Amen. Okay? There is self-discipline. There are things that you will have to apply to your life. You can't just blame everything on everybody else and on Satan. Amen? It's funny. It says, yet they'll produce for you a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So guess what? This glory will be producing you. What is this glory? The glory of the goodness of God. The glory of who you are in Christ. And it will far outweigh. It is outweighing right now within your life. Come on. This glory that comes by suffering, through hardship, through challenge, but you do it through him. Not of your own work, not of your own self, but through the power of the living God. It says so in verse 18. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Again, you're an eternal being. I know you're going through a lot right now. But for the things you're going through, they're temple. It's going to change. That's another translation of the scripture. Don't fix your eyes on the things that are right now. Fix your eyes on the things that cannot be seen, meaning walk in faith. Nehemiah, naturally, he saw the walls because he heard the story that it was destroyed. The walls are destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Our people are scattered. That's what's the natural. That's what he heard and saw in the natural. And in chapter 2, you, go, you see that he actually goes to the walls and he begins to inspect them at night. Begins to look at them. And you know what happens? In all of that destruction, he didn't quit. He saw hope in all of it. He saw that, and you'll read, we can rebuild this. And I'm going to say that for next week, though. He looked at it and said, we can rebuild. How do you look at your life right now? How do you look at it right now? Do you see the hope and the pain and the suffering? This hope that comes through Jesus Christ. This hope that comes from this new and living way. Come on. As a church, there may be things that we don't have yet. There may be things that we have not yet seen. But we remain faithful. We may see a region that is so 
just anti-God. But that doesn't stop us from preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Just because people reject God doesn't mean that we stop preaching God. And usually what happens is we reason within our mind, oh, they're going to reject me already, so I'm not even going to say anything. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. If he can keep the church shut, meaning their mouths, the message, he's won. So we must live in a place of boldness through the spirit of God and begin to be a witness and to begin to live out this new way in Christ Jesus within our marriage. Come on, if you want a healthy marriage, if you want a strong marriage, maybe you're not married today yet. Maybe you're single. Let me help you today. Start working on yourself. Start praying over, some, over a spouse. Start calling them out. Pray. Show God your heart. But in the process, develop yourself. Grow. Because if there's things right now that you are hitting, hiding, and things that you are not changing and develop, you're going to bring it right into that marriage. I promise you. You will. If you have children right now that are younger or that are older, that are not walking with God or that you're struggling with just because of attitudes and things, let me help you today. Begin to pray over them. Begin to speak life over them. One of the greatest things my parents did for me was taught us how to be in the presence of God at home. I grew up in a home where the presence of God was real and tangible, not just, on a building, not just at a church building. It was at home. When my parents lived on Sunday morning, I promise you, they lived out throughout the week. Do you do the same? You know, it's how we see you here. Is that how you act at home? You say, well, no. Well, don't be guilty or shameful. Now, sin will do that. But be encouraged and say, you know what? I can grow. I can change. Again, we're talking about vision. We're talking about character. Character that's what you do when no one's around. That's who you are. How do you act when no one's around? Oh, it's easy to put a mask on and say, hey, yeah. But how do you act really? Again, it's not worried about what other people think. No, it's more an understanding of what he thinks. I'm not worried about what you think. I'm worried about what he thinks. But then what happens is, as you begin to worry about what he thinks or think about how he thinks and get his heart, then you begin to care about one another. You know what that means in a church setting? I care about you when you're not serving God. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.